This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide episode 397. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me once again and welcome our first timers. Thanks for giving us a try, giving us a listen. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, everything you need to know about the government's COVID safe contact tracing app, which has just been released. Huge refresh for Office 365, which will now actually be called Microsoft 365. And Facebook has launched a new Messenger app just for kids. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at Apple's new and more affordable iPhone SE. And we'll also road test Apple's Magic Keyboard for the iPad Pro. And our verdict on the Star Wars films on 4K disc, not streaming, on 4K disc. And we'll answer your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, the government's contact tracing app, COVID Safe, it's called, is now available to download. Has been was down was uh, released late on Sunday afternoon, and funny little story. Uh, I've been talking about this app for quite some time, as you know. Anyone who listens to this show will know that. But I've also done a lot of TV interviews and radio interviews about it as well. And yesterday, oh, Sunday afternoon, I should say, I was contacted. I got a phone call to my mobile, and uh, it was from the Prime Minister's office. And I'm thinking, hang on, what's happened here? And I was just invited to a briefing, a pre-briefing ahead of the press conference to announce the app, which I thought was fantastic. They said, look, we've, we've seen that you've been talking about this a fair bit on TV and on radio, and we thought you should be part of this briefing. And I said, thank you very much. Briefing lasted about an hour and just gave the whole background of the app just before it had been released. In fact, I think the Android version was already in the Google Play Store uh, ahead of the 3 p.m. press conference on Sunday afternoon. So that was a nice little uh, call out of the blue from the Prime Minister's office, no none, no less. Uh, so that was pretty cool to be involved in that briefing. It was just them telling uh, me, and I'm sure there are other people in on the call, about the app and how it will work. And I've presented that on Tech Guide, I've written a everything you need to know story. I've also written about the privacy and security, which has been backed by experts. And later on, so hang around later on for the help desk, and I'm going to answer all the questions people have asked. So I'm going to tell you now about the app, how it works. But later in the show, in the help desk, I'm going to answer all the questions that readers have been asking me about the app. And they've brought up some great points and great questions. So please hang around for that in the help desk later in the show. But for now, the app is available for the Android Android devices, so the Google Play Store, and as well as the iPhone through the Apple App Store. Uh, and it is, as promised, 
a secure app. In fact, they passed legislation that will make misuse of the data uh, result in five years imprisonment. The only people who can see your data are the state and health authorities in your state or territory. If you or are a, a, a contract the virus or are in contact with someone who has contracted the virus, then and only then will you have the option of uploading the data that the app collected to health officials. You might get it and you might think, you know what, I don't want to share this data, and that's well within your rights, although it defeats the whole purpose of having the app in the first place, but that is still your right. The app is voluntary. You can delete it at any time or not even run it at all. But from early uh, early impressions, is it's, it's successful. It's been downloaded, I think, more than 1.5 million times. I'm telling you this on a Monday afternoon, less than 24 hours after it was launched. And there were no hiccups with registrations. People need to submit their name, phone number, age range, and postcode to register for the app. Your phone number is then used to send you a a code to confirm your number, pretty similar to what you would expect if you're doing some internet banking and you were making a transfer to an account for the very first time. Your bank would often have to send you a code to your mobile number to confirm that this is you actually doing the transfer. Similar deal here with that registration confirmation as well. Now, in terms of privacy and security, it was explained to me during this briefing that the app met all 19 privacy recommendations which were set forth by an independent law firm who was hired to write a 100-page assessment of the app's of the app before completion. So this was that they attacked it from all angles on how the privacy should work and came up with 19 recommendations which the app meets every single one. So they've gone so far as to legislate a change to the Biosecurity Act which will prohibit access to the data generated by the app outside of the relevant state and health uh, territory officials who have been authorised, who have only been authorised by the user, so you have to authorise that uh, to access that data. So no government official or Commonwealth official has any access to that data. And as I said, non-compliance of that directive will result in up to five years jail. But it gets better in terms of the, your data security. Now, normally when we submit data, so you're filling out a form, there is a secondary use of data that can be accessed. So I'll give you some. I'll give you an example. So if you submit a normal submission of data, can be accessed in a secondary manner. These are the ways it can be accessed. If it's provided to law enforcement, if it has to assist in the defence of a crime, if it is requested under a warrant, or if it's subpoenaed by a court, that's the normal secondary use of data. All of those secondary uses I've just mentioned are prohibited by law to access the COVID safe app, the data on the app. So that's protected even further than any other type of data. It's the most protected type of data you can submit. And just taking that even a little bit further, that 
it can't be used against you. So say you upload your data and it finds that you've been in close contact with 15 people in 15 minutes, that, that would sound like a gathering, a social gather, a gathering that would go against the social distancing laws. Even that data cannot be used against you uh, to, to, for, to enforce any type of punishment. So don't think that, oh, hang on, I've been around a lot of people, they're going to think I had a party at my place. That is not going to happen. It will not ever be used against you. The other point to make as well, and this is an interesting one, and it's actually something I alluded to last week. I was Last week's show, if you can remember, I was sort of telling people, do this for Australia, do this for your country, and I still stand by that. A lot of people have accepted and supported this app. They've downloaded it. They're proudly saying they've done it. They're doing it for Australia. They want us to get back to normal. Now, one thing I suggested uh, in, in, my, in the podcast last week was that maybe the app could be used to get you to back to normal. So say, for example, the pub's open again, and to get in the front door, you've got to show that you're using the app. Well, have a guess what? That is actually prohibited. That is part of these, this legislation. That, that What they've called it is conditionality. So conditionality, in other words, if you have or have not installed the app, cannot be used against you. So there's no place or anyone can prejudice you whether you've downloaded the app or not. So you're not going to get preferential treatment if you have, and you're not going to be knocked back if you haven't to, to enter into all those places. So the government has also legislated to that level, conditionality it's called, uh, and that is also prohibited. Now let's talk about the app and how it works. The app collects your that information, mobile phone, your name, you don't even actually need to use a real name. You could use a fake name. As long as your number's real, that's the critical part. As long as your number is legit, and to prove that you get sent a code, that is what's required. Your age range, not your actual age, your age range, so whether you're you know, 25 to 30 or whatever, your age range is required, as well as your postcode. Now, your postcode will give them an idea of where, what area you reside. It won't give you your address. The postcode's pretty big. So they're the pieces of data that are submitted. Now, when that happens, this is what needs to happen. The app uses Bluetooth. So it does, the app is installed and, and you need to have Bluetooth on. You also need to have the app running in the background at all times, whether it's an iPhone, whether it's Android, it needs to be running at all times. Now, what happens? The app generates a handshake. So what happens if... It, it, if it detects other devices, it doesn't see, oh, hang on, that's Stephen Fennec's phone. It just sees me as a random Bluetooth address, a unique identifier. So it's, it, it gives me a unique identifier. If that unique identifier is, is recognized um, 15 consecutive times, so it, it sends out this little unique exchange once a minute. So every minute, it, it, if we exchange unique identifiers, Say you and I are in, a, in somewhere and we're chatting away for 15 minutes. Our unique identifiers are being pinged back and forth through our Bluetooth. If that happens 15 times in a row, so in other words, 15 minutes, then we both get registered in our respective databases. But not our names, my device name. I'm just a random number, a unique identifier assigned to my Bluetooth address that goes into the database, which is, as we said earlier, secure safe as a bank, no one can access it until you 
grant access to a health official. So it's not, not like we're sharing our health information. We're only going to share this data if we test positive to the virus or if we've been in contact with someone who's tested positive to the virus. Now, don't forget later on, I'm going to answer all the other questions you may have about what devices work, how old they got to be, or everything uh, I hope I'm going to answer for you in the help desk. But for now, I just want to try to explain how it works. Works both on Android and iPhones. We'll, uh, we'll work on smartphones that are a few years old, but I'll get back into that in the help desk. App needs to be running at all time. App will not use GPS or any kind of location data. Uh, Bluetooth will not interfere with your regular uses of Bluetooth. So if you're still using your headphones and connecting it to your car, you can continue to do that. But one issue might be that your battery-saving feature may flag the fact that it's constantly running in the background and will offer you the option of maybe shutting it down. I think this is an Android feature that many may... Uh, so give give you need to give COVID safe uh, a pass on that so that it still needs to be running in the background. Don't do your full clear all your running apps because it'll shut the COVID safe app as well and you'll need to relaunch it and keep it running in the background. Uh, as far as data is concerned, it uses less than a megabyte of data. I'll get into that a bit later. And another thing too, you do not need to be connected to the internet for the app to work. You can have uh, just, you can turn your cellular network off, your connection to the network off, turn Wi-Fi off. It works just with Bluetooth, which is a local peer-to-peer -peer connection. So uh, you don't need to be connected to the internet. Now, the other thing is about security of this thing. And since it's been out in the wild for a day now, experts have had a chance to look at it. And one guy in particular that I follow on Twitter, he, well, he first of all questioned, why didn't they release the source code? And I don't know the answer to that, but what he did, and I'm talking about a gentleman named Matthew Robbins, who was he who is a developer for MFractor, uh, and he said, and this is all he all tweeted all of this, so it's nothing I've taken out of context. He tweeted that he downloaded and decompiled the Android app, and that which is as good as having the source code. He confirmed that the data collected by the app is secure and encrypted in a secure section of your phone. He also said that the COVID Safe app will not broadcast the name of your device, but an encrypted Bluetooth address. He also verified in the code, so he knows what to look for in the code, he verified that the data is also automatically wiped every 21 days so it just it performs a cleanup task it says in the code uh, so from what and from what he said he says from what I see everything in the app is above board very transparent and follows industry standards but here's another line he, he tweeted a really interesting tweet quite funny actually and there have been many people questioning the security the tracking of this app and everything that does yet they're still using they're still downloading other apps they're still using social media and as far as those people as far as people who download these apps and free games and their concerns about the COVID safe app this is what Matthew Robbins had to say. People downloading freemium games but being worried about an app designed to suppress a pandemic is akin to worrying about a gluten-free diet while smoking a pack a day, which I thought sums it up brilliantly. Uh, the Australian Industry in uh, Information Industry Association, that's the A. 
AIA. Uh, the AIA CEO, Ron Gauchi, he said that based on this detailed briefing and understanding that the app does not track your geolocation and that personal data and cybersecurity concerns have been designed into the app and through government regulations, the AIA therefore supports the government tracing app and strongly recommends that all Australians download it. There you have it. The COVID Safe app is available now for Android and iPhone. There is a link on Tech Guide for where you can download it if you don't already have it. What you need to search for is COVID Safe, which is one word, in the App Store or the Google Play Store to get involved. And I recommend you do that. Get involved. The more people who use it, the better it is, the sooner we can get back to normal. But hang around later for the help desk. We are going to answer all of your questions about the COVID Safe app. But in the meantime, if you want to read more about the apps and everything that we've talked about so far, check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Alrighty, time to change gears a little bit and we're going to talk about what used to be called Office 365. And I bet that many of you listening right now, if not all of you, have some access to one of the Office 365 applications, whether it's Word, whether it's Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, you name it. They are used by more than 38 million subscribers around the world. So we're talking about a suite of applications that many of you use every day of your life, including myself. And it used to be called Office 365. So what they've done, they've not only done a refresh of, the, of every application and introduced some new features, they're all, they've also renamed it. Microsoft 365, it's now called. So forget Office 365, which all sounds pretty corporate. Uh, and because, yeah, there are a lot of personal users here, including myself, although I run a business, I run the website. But I'm, I'm a one-man band here. I don't need to – it's not like I'm, I'm running a, a major company. I uh, So having it called Office 365, I think, breaks down the uh, – sort of pigeonhole it. But having it now called Microsoft 365 really breaks it down and opens it up to, obviously, family use, personal use, student use, as well as business use as well. So what we've done, they've introduced several new features to Microsoft 365. Don't be calling it Office 365. Uh, one new inclusion is the new Family Safety app, which allows parents to protect their family online and also find them with a location sharing feature. And uh, this can also protect your data and all your information. Later this year, they are also going to introduce a, a new product called Microsoft Teams which is basically like a, a working collaboration tool that can work both in a private and professional setting. So keep an eye for that. So what happens, users stay connected, they can access multiple calendars, share tasks and documents, and it just basically makes collaborating even easier than it ever was. Now here are some of the new features. One is uh, the AI-powered Microsoft Editor. This is an AI-powered service that's available in more than 20 languages as well, by the way. Uh, so it will be used across Word and Outlook as uh, as accessible through a browser, uh, as a browser extension, sorry, from for Microsoft Edge and Google Chrome. So basically what it does, it gives you access to tools that can improve your grammar and style while offering rewrite suggestions and additional style tips 
to express yourself clearly. You think about it. You, you're working on a Word document, a PowerPoint presentation. There's a feature for that too uh, a, as well. So it helps you express yourself clearly and more concisely. Speaking of presenting, there is a new feature called Presenter Coach in PowerPoint. This is, again, AI-powered, and the presenter helps correct your monotone pitch and refine your speeches to help you nail your presentation. So it'll suggest words to hit in sentences and give you free previews on how to do it. So if you want to nail your prezzo, then this is a, one of the features you'll need to use. Now, speaking of presentations, if you're designing your presentation, what the, another feature is called PowerPoint Designer, which can suggest uh, all these beautiful templates and offers up all these beautiful images and looping videos to really make your presentations pop. So it just adds so much value to Microsoft 365. There's also plenty of templates as well, uh, whether you're working on uh, whatever you were, it's Word or Excel or PowerPoint, more than 200 premium templates. Uh, there's also there's also new data types as well as smart templates. So different, less time-consuming ways to interact with data in Excel. Uh, also get uh, there's also a way to organise your time across work and life with Outlook. There's new features there to help manage all your commitments, your work across your, your work and life balance stuff in one place. Uh, so you can also link your personal calendar with your work calendar to show your real availability while still maintaining your privacy. That's very important and your family time. You can also uh, have more features with Skype up to uh, if offers you all these features, including a new one on Skype called Meet Now that allows users to connect over video for free uh, with up to 50 people in just a few clicks. That's pretty cool as well. And we've also spoken about already the Microsoft Family Safety app as well, which I think is a really cool one as well because uh, often families subscribe to this at the same time. So pretty cool. The new features have been rolled out to all existing Office 365 customers who will become say it with me, Microsoft 365 customers, it's not called Office 365 anymore, both personal and family subscriptions are now available worldwide. And don't forget too, you also receive a one terabyte cloud storage on OneDrive for any subscriber as well. Microsoft 365 personal costs just $10 a month and a family of up to six people can use Microsoft 365 family for $13 a month. That's pretty good value considering all you get, all those applications as well as all those new features. Uh, and um, no doubt many of you using these applications already. So uh, the stuff you're using just got a whole lot better. If you want to read more about Microsoft 365, check it out, techguide.com.au. Now, we are in a state of lockdown still, and the only communication is basically video chat. And plenty of us have been not only doing it for work with Zoom and Skype and FaceTime and all these things, but uh, there's a lot of people who just want to contact their friends, especially kids. And a way they could do that is with a new app that Facebook has just launched. It's called Messenger Kids. And this offers a fun and safe way for your kids to chat safely, but while still having a great time. And this is, a, this is separate to the normal Messenger app, uh, but it still has remarkable parental controls. Whenever something says kids in it, it's only as good as the parental controls that go with it. So just because the kids can use it, it means the parents have to monitor things as well. That's what makes it a kid's 
product. So basically, they can still connect with their friends and family in a safe, parent-controlled space. So kids can enjoy one-on-one chats or take part in video chats as well, which is pretty cool. They can also access some fun features, including masks and emojis, sound effects. They can really have fun in their conversation. So it is very, very kid-friendly. Uh, they can also kids can also share photos and videos and text messages to friends and family that have been approved by the parent. There's also a library of kid-friendly gifts and frames and stickers, all those fun things. Now, parents, there is a dashboard, and kids can accept a friend and reject a friend only with the parent's blessing. So if a if a if a child if your child gets a friend request then the parent will, will know and can approve it. The parent will also know if you've unfriended someone. If a child's unfriended a person, uh, the parent will get notified because there might be a reason why that person was unfriended. You know, this, this leads into the whole cyberbullying sort of side of things. If there is a problem, then the parent can know. If, if suddenly, you know, Jimmy has unfriended Johnny, then why did Jimmy, why did that happen? What happened between you? And, and the, you can find out. So that uh, keeps it all open and transparent. And still, the parent is in control. So really, really good feature there, and especially in these times now where kids aren't even all back to school. They're still, depending on what state you live in, the schools, are, they've offered staggered starts and all these various things, work from home sometimes and be at school some other times. Kids just want to be with their friends. This is a way they can do it and do it safely. Messenger Kids, if you want to read more about that, check it out, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They are Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Now, is your Wi-Fi feeling old? Does it buffer while streaming? Does connecting new devices slow it down? Can it handle gaming, video calls, large file transfers, and what about if you're doing all that at once? It doesn't matter how fast your internet connection is if your Wi-Fi router is old and outdated. With the Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear, your Wi-Fi will feel new again. Wi-Fi 6 is the latest tech that allows more devices to connect and stream simultaneously without impacting speed or reliability. The result delivers the fastest Wi-Fi for all your devices anywhere in your home. You can stream in HD, in 4K and even 8K without buffering. Eliminate the lag while gaming and connect more devices to your Wi-Fi than ever before. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is like upgrading your Wi-Fi to first class. If you're ready to experience the best Wi-Fi ever, get it today from Netgear and never worry about Wi-Fi again. Check out Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 at netgear.com forward slash Wi-Fi 6. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number 6. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Okay, we're opening up our reviews account this week with the iPhone SE. This is the affordable iPhone, the more affordable iPhone. And when we're talking affordable... Uh, an Apple Apple affordable is seven hundred and forty nine bucks. I'll just tell you that right off the bat. The sixty four gig iPhone SE is seven forty nine. If you want to add a bit more memory, uh, so if you want to go to one twenty eight, that's going to cost you eight hundred and twenty nine bucks. And if you want to go all the way for two fifty six gig of memory, that's going to cost you nine hundred and ninety nine 
dollars. So the iPhone SE, SE we understand stands for Special Edition. And this isn't the first SE that Apple have introduced, by the way. 2016, they introduced the original iPhone SE, and it was basically an iPhone 5S, uh, same design, it had uh, just an updated processor. So fast forward to 2020, and the iPhone SE, it's not called the SE 2, by the way, it's just called the SE again, so no numbers there. Uh, this time out, the iPhone SE is basically the iPhone 8. So re remember the iPhone 8, it's got a home button, 4.7-inch retina display, single-lens camera. But here's the kicker. It has the very latest processor on board, the A13 Bionic chip, the very same chip that is on the iPhone 11 Pro and the iPhone 11. So how's that for being up-to-date in terms of performance? Uh, that's a good feeling, knowing that you don't have to spend thousands to get the latest processor for your iPhone. This is designed for the iPhone customer who is, has only ever been an iPhone customer and only wants to ever be an iPhone customer. This, uh, the alternative would be buy a second-hand iPhone or last resort would be to, to buy a cheaper Android phone. So this is Apple's way of saying, look, if you have to have an iPhone but you don't want to spend $1,200, $1,500, $2,000, then the iPhone SE is the one for you. And having the latest processor... And Wi-Fi 6, it's also got gigabit LTE connectivity as well. Having all of that means that this, this phone can last you years into the future. So it, 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 you know, there have been, people have said, oh, look, I can buy an iPhone 7 from Officeworks for $399 or $499, and it's got 32 gig of memory, which is okay. But you're stuck with an old processor. That's a four-year-old phone. So it means it's a four-year-old processor, which means in two years' time when iOS 16 comes out, your phone won't be able to run it. But if you've got this iPhone SE, which has the latest processor, we're going to get iPhone iOS 14 in a few months. This, this phone could run for four to five years. Now, the type of customer who will buy this will probably do that. They'll hang on to it for a while. So it adds to the longevity of the phone if you can know that that's a nice peace of mind if you know that this can be updated to the for the next iOS updates for the next few years. So you're not stuck on an old iOS and you can still run all the latest apps. You can still enjoy things like augmented reality, Apple TV, Apple Music, uh, Apple Arcade. So you can play all the latest games. You just don't have as big a screen. Speaking of the screen, 4.7-inch Retina display. Now, I was coming from uh, Samsung, iPhone 11 Pro, Huawei Mate XS. So I'm used to looking at a big screen. So it did, it, it did take a little bit of getting used to the smaller screen, which was still okay. looked great. Everything was, was clear and sharp. I could read everything I needed to read. But uh, it did introduce having a 4.7-inch screen. Just below it is the Home button. So you're, uh, I haven't used a phone with a home button for quite a while. So being able to access that, instantly unlock the phone with your Touch ID, so with your fingerprint, that was pretty cool. Uh, and also, that also makes it faster to uh, authorise app downloads, to verify Apple Pay payments. It actually it's actually faster to make an Apple Pay payment with Touch ID than it is with Face ID. Face ID, you've got to hold it up to your face, then put it near the thing, and then do it. It takes another second or two, whereas this, you put the phone down, thumb thumb on your home button, boom, it's unlocked, authorised, done. It is faster than Face ID. 
The downside, of course, is having a home button means less room for the screen. There's also a pretty decent forehead at the top of there. So as I said, it's an iPhone 8. And having that, that, that design is the reason why it can be offered at this particular price. If, you were, if Apple were to redesign the whole thing, it wouldn't be cheap. There's, Apple can't make a cheap phone. The, Apple, the iPhone gets cheap because it gets old. The design's older. That's why it's cheaper. Apple will never go ahead and redesign a phone and offer that at a budget price because that'll be their new phone. They're not going to do that. That's why this is basically a reskinned iPhone 8. And the iPhone 8's a great phone. It adds things like wireless charging. You never had that with the previous SE. Uh, it also has fast charging. So if you want to get up to 50% charge, 30 minutes charging gets you back up to 50%. Speaking of the battery, we're talking about charging. Let's talk battery. I was using this as my daily driver. Lasted the entire day. Not a problem. Uh, so maybe late in the evening I might have, had, might have had to charge it, but I have the option of putting it on a wireless charging mat maybe during the day on my desk or or a fast charge, get up to 50% charge in 30 minutes. It wasn't an issue. Obviously not as good a battery, as, as, as large a capacity of battery, I should say, as the larger phones. Like larger phone equals larger battery. This is a smaller battery, but still got me through the day. I'm estimating that the the Apple never tell you the capacity of the of their batteries in their phones. Uh, I'm tipping this is probably two thousand to two thousand five hundred milliamp hours, which is still enough to get through the whole day. So not a problem there. Now let's talk camera. Camera is a very important feature, and even though this has got a single lens in the camera, it still punches way above its weight. This takes some really good images and it's because of that processor. The A13 Bionic chip and the neural engine on board makes this camera really smart. And in fact, even though it's only got one lens, you can still take portrait shots because it uses computational photography technology and it has all this depth sensing technology, uses smart HDR, can detect people in the frame. So it's very smart delivering that kind of feature through a single lens of the camera. Of course, it doesn't take as good pictures as the 11, which has two lenses, and the 11 Pro, which has three. Uh, that adds things like low-light photography, ultra-wide angle. You don't get that with this phone. Low-light pictures on this phone are, are pretty average. That's probably the, the only downside of the phone is that low-light photography, you're going to struggle. That's a feature associated with more expensive phones. But this phone still takes remarkable pictures and good video. can shoot 4K video at up to 60 frames per second, which for a phone of this price, that is pretty impressive. So all up, good camera, great battery life, a design that we all know, that we all like. It's been around for a while. It's, it's tried and tested. People love it. Obviously not as good as the iPhone 11 and 11 Pro. If you want a bigger screen, a better camera, then spend more money and get the 11 and the 11 Pro. They're there already. But this is designed for that customer who has to have an iPhone, they don't want anything else, can't afford the big money for the other flagship phones, but still wants an iPhone. The iPhone SE can deliver just that for them. If you want to read our complete review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Okay, we're still talking about Apple products here, and one in particular that was announced with the iPad Pro, 
but wasn't available with the iPad Pro right away. It, although it was delivered earlier than expected. The When the iPad Pro was announced last month, they said Magic Keyboard coming in May. So we thought, oh, God, we've got to wait for all this time. But lo and behold, Apple somehow delivered three weeks early. They said, right, uh, the Magic Keyboard's available next week. And so we got it into review because we've reviewed the new iPad Pro, which is fantastic. But the Magic Keyboard uh, is an all-new offering to make the iPad Pro more like a laptop than ever before. Now, what the Magic Keyboard offers, before I tell you the price and the weight of this thing, the Magic Keyboard has a trackpad, has this amazing cantilever design, has a USB-C port in the hinge, so that's for good for pass-through charging, but it also has this near-full-size backlit scissor mechanism keyboard. So not the not the sort of plasticky molded keys of their other keyboards. This is the legit keyboard you would find as close to what you'd find on a MacBook Pro. So you're getting that class of keyboard paired it up with a pretty high-end device in the iPad Pro, which is like laptop-level processing power and performance, and you've suddenly got this amazing combination where you can be more productive than ever. And as I said, makes this more like a laptop than ever before. What helps with that is the trackpad, because now with iPad OS, the latest version of iPad OS, if you've done the update, you can now access a cursor. So it's a little circle that you can now control through the trackpad on the Magic Keyboard. You can also pair a mouse and a separate trackpad, by the way, if you don't want to buy the Magic Keyboard, and that will also control the cursor as well. So there's that option also. But the Magic Keyboard puts it all in one place, offers that fantastic keyboard, uh, that that beautiful design that when when you attach the iPad, it hovers above the keyboard. So typical Apple, really beautifully designed, looks amazing, and performs really well as well. Now let's talk, first of all, about the weight of the Magic Keyboard. The, the iPad, the Magic Keyboard weighs in, the Magic Keyboard, and I reviewed the Magic Keyboard for the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, right? Go big or go home. The iPad Pro Magic Keyboard weighs 704 grams, okay? Remember that number. The iPad Pro 12.9-inch weighs 643 grams. It, that's right, it weighs less than the keyboard. The keyboard weighs more than the iPad Pro itself. Now, I think there's a reason for that because the Magic Keyboard has to support the weight of the iPad Pro and it needed needs some heft to it. It needs to be able to hang it up there magnetically hanging in midair there's an attachment at the top of the, the, the top panel of the Magic Keyboard. So you'll see in the photos on Tech Guide where it's hovering just above the keyboard there. And weight is not a problem. I think what adds to the weight is the metal hinge and the USB-C port on the side that allows you to charge the iPad while still using the iPad's USB-C port for other things. You might want to use that to connect a monitor or a camera or a, an external drive. It just frees up the uh, that port. Uh, so, yes, it does have the weight 
but I think it's distributed very well. It does angle the iPad Pro really nicely. One little thing that I noticed, though, when I was typing away, and I don't know whether because I'm a, a crazy wild typist, but I had I pulled the iPad as far forward as I could. I thought, how cool is it hovering above the keyboard? But when I found I was trying to hit the top row of keys where the numbers keys are, I would sometimes glance the iPad Pro, the bottom of the iPad Pro, I'd hit the edge of the screen, and I'm thinking, well, okay, I better push this back a little bit, uh, a little bit overzealous with the typing. I don't know whether that's just my style of typing or what, but uh, that that's what I found. But it didn't. all I had to do was push the iPad back a little, a touch, and it was out of the way. And uh, it, it was allowed me to swing at the top row of keys with a bit more ease, which was fine. But and then again, then there's the trackpad, which allows you to um, navigate the system, go between apps, uh, and w- what I found too, I discovered this little feature that every app has a shortcut. Anyone who uses a laptop, uh, especially a MacBook Pro or an iMac, we know all the shortcuts, the keyboard shortcuts. To they're pretty common across all the applications we use. Now with the iPad Pro and the now the Magic Keyboard. Yes, there are a set of keyboard shortcuts, but we don't know which is which and which ones we use for different applications. So simple thing to do is press and hold the command key in all the different apps when you're connected to the Magic Keyboard, and up pops in the middle of the screen every possible keyboard shortcut for that particular application, We thought, which I thought was a nice touch. It really taught you quickly what is what. So... You know, anyone who's used a laptop, we know all the keyboard shortcuts. There is a bit of learning for the new, with if you've got the Magic Keyboard, to work out those shortcuts depending on the program you're using. So, for example, if I'm in Mail, the shortcuts in Mail will be a little bit different to what's in Word and what's on Safari and what's in any other app. So it is there for you. Just press press and hold the Command key. All the list of shortcuts shortcuts pop up on the screen that work for that particular program, which I thought was a nice touch. And look, the whole operation, the keyboard was magic, as its name suggests. It was it offered that nice scissor mechanism, so there's a little bit of travel in the keys. Uh, it's not too loud. It was like typing on a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air. The MacBook Air recently, that was updated to the scissor mechanism keyboard also. So if you uh, if that's what you want under your fingertips, then the Apple Apple's Magic Keyboard is a ideal choice for you. The Apple Magic Keyboard. Now, let's talk pricing. You're asking, tell them the price, son. The price of the Apple Magic Keyboard is not cheap. I've got to tell you, $499 for the 11-inch, $589 for the 12.9-inch, and that's a lot of money. I'm not going to hide that or sugarcoat it. It is expensive. But let me put it this way. Break down what you're getting. You're getting this quality accessory. It's got a brilliant design, adds a lot of functionality and and gives your iPad Pro a bit more authority as a productivity tool. It's got a backlit Pro-level keyboard. It's also got a trackpad and as well as that spare USB-C port, which if, if productivity is what you want, you still want to be able to charge this thing as well as connect things to it, and that's the only way to get that secondary USB-C port is through the Magic Keyboard. So I think for if you break down what you get and the benefits it can offer, then I think people uh, who can afford it will see the value. 
Others will be happy to make do with a separate trackpad, a separate mouse, and maybe no keyboard at all, or the older keyboard. They've still got the smart keyboard there if you don't want to pony up for the Magic Keyboard. That is entirely your choice. But I, I rate it. I think it's pretty cool. It does add a lot to an iPad Pro. If you're already invested in an iPad Pro, this will make that investment a little bit more valuable. If you want to read our complete review, check it out, techguide.com.au. Okay, I thought I'd leave this to last. Uh, I have got every Star Wars film on 4K. And while I know a lot of you are thinking, I've got Disney+, Plus. I've been watching Star Wars movies on 4K for months now, let me tell you now that watching 4K streaming and 4K on a disc are not the same. 4K disc is better. And I'll quickly tell you why before I tell you about how good the Star Wars films look. You get viewing on a 4K disc is always higher quality than the streaming version of the movie. They might have the same 4K resolution, but the disc offers better quality always. And the reason being is that viewing off a disc, you get a higher quality you get a you get a higher quality experience because first of all it doesn't need the internet so regardless of your internet a disc gives you a repeatable experience that is always high quality secondly the bit rate of a disc that's the number of bits so the info that that is needed to provide the video and audio quality is way higher off a disc than a streaming service if you're streaming that streaming service is using a higher compression and therefore a lower bit rate to reduce the file size to make it easy to stream. It's simple. So if you really want to see 4K, especially for a movie you love, I love Star Wars. No, no surprise there for anyone who's been listening to the podcast and knows me at all. I'm a tragic Star Wars fan and I had to own these discs because I knew they would look a lot better than they would in streaming. And by better, I mean there's just better depth of colour, there's better brightness, there's there's better sharpness around objects and other finer details like hair and skin textures and things like that. The disc always gives you that. And while you're getting the same number of pixels on a streaming service that you would on a disc, the quality of those pixels are better on a disc than, than, it, than it will be from the streaming service. So... That, that's, I think, for any 4K movie, not just the Star Wars movies. If there's a 4K movie you really love, then buy the disc. It's going to look way better. You've spent all this money on a 4K TV. In my case, I'll spend big money on a, 4K, on a home theater with a 4K projector and speakers. And I'm thinking, go big or go home. I want to watch the best possible material on there. I don't want to compromise. So having the disc, it, it offers me that no compromise approach. Now, let's talk Star Wars. Obviously, the sequel trilogy, so Force Awakens, which is on 4K for the first time, by the way, looked amazing. Last Jedi was already on 4K. Rise of Skywalker, all looked fantastic. Of course, they were recently made. Transfers are brilliant, really sharp, really clear. Soundtracks are amazing as well, by the way. Audio quality is something you don't get with streaming services. Yeah, you get your 4, 5.1, 7.1, but what you don't get with streaming, especially with the Star Wars films, is Dolby Atmos. 
Dolby Atmos adds literally another layer of audio that will that, that in the Star Wars movie just adds so it's a much more fun soundtrack, and your speakers are going to all get involved. That's another thing that I like about it. But to me, I'll go straight to the prequel trilogy. To me, that was the the worst looking of the bunch, and I'm not. That's not to say they're terrible. They still look fantastic, but of the others, these are probably my least favorite transfers because. A, they were shot on, they were shot digitally. B, there's a lot of CGI and effects which are really hard to sort of trans to get proper to get looking right on 4K. They still look brilliant, don't get me wrong. But in term compared to the original trilogy and the new trilogy, they're the, probably the weakest of the films. The original trilogy look amazing. Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, despite their age, and don't forget, there's been remasters over the years when they arrived on DVD and Blu-ray, so they've been polished up over the years. So the 4K version, no surprise, it looked fantastic. And what I found, not just with the original trilogy, but also the prequel trilogy, uh, 4K compared to Blu-ray, obviously there's more resolution, but the colour temperature was slightly different. The Blu-rays and... uh, the, they to me they tended to look a bit more a bit warmer so there's a bit more of a reddish tone on the screen whereas and there's a comparison picture there to explain what I'm talking about 4k took all that redness away and just gave us the true colors of the scene so there's no reddish tinges you're getting the true colors and that added detail is remarkable too in 4k and that added detail HDR plays a big part as well HDR was amazing so a lot of dark and light areas of the screen looked brilliant so a lot more detail that I was seeing things for the first time a lot of detail scratches and, and detail textures uh, on the droids and on the characters for the very first time so that was fascinating Star Wars on 4k if you're a true fan Get the disc. I cannot recommend that more highly. If you want to watch it on Disney+, Plus, that's great. It just means that you're settling for a version of the movie, not getting the best version of the movie. If you want to read more about my thoughts on Star Wars on 4K, you know where to go, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton, They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Now, we live in a world where we're constantly connected. Cyber attacks are more prevalent than ever. There are phishing scams and ransomware, online predators, and big data tracking your every move. Sounds scary, doesn't it? These cyber threats, they have evolved, which is important to have a software solution that has evolved with it. And that's what Norton has done just that. The new Norton 360 gives you next-level protection. It combines the power of device security, and there are up to five licenses, for, so for mobile devices, laptops, computers. It combines that security with a secure VPN, so you can connect privately and safely on free Wi-Fi to keep your family safe and private whenever you go online. The new Norton 360 is all-in-one protection for your devices and online privacy. It's available now at leading retailers or au.norton.com. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you by our good mates at Belkin. If you need a cable, a charger, a speaker... 
they've got numerous products for you to choose from. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the help desk to this week, I'm going to dedicate to all the questions that people were asking about the COVID Safe app. I'm going to go through them now. The biggest question I got asked was, doesn't work on my device, how come? Now, if you're using an older device, it will not work. If you're using an Android phone running Android 6 or later, you are fine. But older devices, like five years or older, running Android 5 and earlier, if you can't update those devices, unfortunately, you cannot run the app. If you're using an iPhone, the COVID Safe app will work with iOS 10 or later, which means if you're still using an iPhone 5, and that's a, that's a six-year-old phone, it will still work because you're running iOS 10. Uh, it works all the way up to iOS 13, of course. So you're good if iOS 5 or later. Now, if I'm close to a person who doesn't have the app, will it register within the app? No, it won't. Both devices need to have the COVID Safe app installed and running in the background on their devices. If I am close to a person for 14 minutes and not 15 minutes, will anything be registered within the app? No, it won't. The app needs 15 consecutive Bluetooth handshakes to be registered in the app of for each person. Do I need to be connected to the internet? I think I've answered that. You do not need to be connected to the internet. It only uses Bluetooth, which is a local connection. Why does the Android version of the COVID Safe app require location permission if the app is not meant to track me? That is a very good question, and the explanation is actually within the app itself. The app says it needs to be granted location access for the Bluetooth access to work. So what my interpretation of that is that location access doesn't mean it's tracking your location. It just means that it'll work outside of your house on the move. But experts have all agreed that the app is private and secure and does not, capital letters, not track you. Can my phone be hacked through Bluetooth? Not really. Very near impossible to hack a Bluetooth phone. If you just, if you, uh, through Bluetooth, the biggest risk of, is, don't forget, your device is connected to a cellular network and Wi-Fi. That's where they're going to hack you if they are going to hack you. So answer that question is no. You can safely run Bluetooth uh, if you want to. Uh, do I need to keep the app running in the background? Yes, you do. Uh, and I know a lot of people try to free up memory on their phone and they, they close down all their running apps. That'll close this down as well, and you'll probably have to need to open it again. Maybe close down apps one by one to make it better, to so you keep COVID safe running. Can I still listen to my headphones through Bluetooth if I'm running the COVID safe app? Yes, you can. Bluetooth is used by COVID safe, but you can still listen to music, keep your smartwatches and, and devices connected, your wearables connected, and your car connections as well. Uh, does the COVID safe app use much data? Not really. The app will use less than one megabyte of data a day. And that includes the data you send or receive from an other, from another COVID safe app if you're together for 15 minutes or longer. How well can Bluetooth measure 1.5 meters? Well, uh, apparently pretty well. Uh, my understanding is that it can measure short distances up to two meters, and then the next detection would be up to 10 meters and further. And it, it does depend on how close the other device is, of course, for the range and the signal strength. So the stronger the signal, the closer they are. Another variable, though. Uh, that I'm thinking is that an Android phone can probably detect another Android phone better than an iPhone, an Android detecting an iPhone and vice versa. So Android to Android and probably iPhone to iPhone, those handshakes may be stronger. Uh, that's that's me saying that. I'm the, that that's how I suspect they'd work. A device would suspect its own kind before another one. 
Um, is the app really going to respect my privacy? I think I've answered this question. Yes, it will. There's been legislation for that protection. Uh, the other the other one I was asked, the other question was, how long will the app hold the data? It'll delete the data after 21 days. Here's another interesting one. Can I see the contact data collected by the app? Uh, the answer to that is no. You cannot see, even if you tried, to see the encrypted data on your own, uh, in, within your own app, just won't happen. It's encrypted and stored on your device, can only be unlocked by health officials once they have your consent. Uh, will my name and number be sent to another device if I'm in contact? No, the device name is not broadcast, just a Bluetooth address. And the last question, can I use a fake name when I register with the COVID Safe app? Yes, you can. You just can't use a fake number because it needs that number to verify your registration. If you want to read more about those COVID safe questions, all of them are answered at techguide.com.au. And that is the end of our show for this week. Geez, that went fast. Everything we've talked about on the show, you can find at techguide.com.au. And come at me with questions. If you want to get in touch with us, email me info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special shout out to our great sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Please support the sponsors that support our program. Thanks once again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. But until then, stay safe and stay connected.